Hello everybody, this is our third sermon looking at the book of 1 Kings. Today we're in 1 Kings chapters 3 and 4 and the sermon is entitled Solomon Asks for Wisdom. I would like to begin with a few questions to get us thinking. I'm not going to get you to tell me your answers but I would like you to try and take this seriously, answering honestly for yourself. If you were in a difficult situation, if you had a big decision to make, or if you found yourself lost in life and didn't know which way to turn, who would you go to in order to get some wise advice? Would it be a friend or family member? Would it be a professional of some sort? Would it be someone you could meet face to face with or an online resource? Have a think for a moment. Now, I hope you have a name or at least an idea. Whoever you have just thought of, I want to ask you another question about them. Why do you consider them to be wise? Perhaps you admire their life. Perhaps they've helped you before. Perhaps they have a certain job title or role in society. Again, have a think. Final question. This person that you have been thinking of, where do you think they got their wisdom from? I mean, they were not born with it, were they? So how did they come to be wise in your eyes? Is it linked to their age? Have they experienced a lot? Is it to do with their intelligence? Have they read widely? Is it to do with their faith? Have they spent years praying and reading scripture? How have they become wise? As I said, I'm not going to ask you to tell me your answers, but these are important questions. The reason being that at times we all need wise advice. We all find ourselves in situations where we are unsure which way to turn and we're looking for the input of others. And instinctively we know in those moments we need to make sure we go to the right people. People who are going to help and not make matters worse. Let me try and make this sermon as relevant as I can. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, we spoke about several areas where we are looking for wisdom. Those there who were fathers talked about how hard it is to know how to bring up and discipline your children. We asked questions like, how much technology should they have? How do we get them to learn right from wrong? How do we raise them to know Jesus? Another man spoke about how his daughter and son-in-law were facing a big decision on whether to move area to take up a new job. Their work might be better paid, but their children would be forced to leave a really good school. What was the right thing to do? We then spoke about our church. How do we go about reaching out to Isla? How do we share the gospel here? It seems so hard at times. We need wisdom. But that's just the beginning. Some of our young people will be leaving home to go to university in the next few days. They will need wisdom on who to make friends with, which clubs and societies to join, how to structure their days. I spoke to another person this week who was struggling with their sexuality. 
How do they navigate these trials and become comfortable with who they are? How do they talk about this matter with their friends and family? I attended an online meeting where there was a big argument about coming out of lockdown on Isla. One person wanted us just to get on with life and move forwards, accepting that the virus will probably always be with us. Another felt this was reckless and demonstrated a lack of compassion to the vulnerable. We need wisdom. All of us need wisdom at times. We just don't know it all. Often we really do not know what is the best way to respond to a given situation. In these moments, we need to know who to turn to. As our reading began today, we saw a perfect illustration of why gaining wisdom is so important. Within just three verses, we have encountered two massive grey areas. In verse 1, we read that King Solomon has just married the daughter of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, there are few things we need more wisdom on than who we marry and spend the rest of our life with. This is a massive decision that affects everything. But as we date and try to find a lover, it's not always obvious, is it? On the one hand, Solomon's marriage could be seen as very clever. It is politically expedient. He's brought two competing kingdoms together. By marrying Pharaoh's daughter, he may well be opening up new trade and diplomacy. Yet on the other hand, Solomon's marriage could be seen as a great mistake. Egypt is frequently presented as an oppressor of God's people in the Old Testament, and Jewish kings were repeatedly warned about renewing contact. Jews were also not to marry people who worshipped other gods in case it led them to worship them too. So this marriage, was it political genius fostering peace? Or was it disobedience of God's word? You decide. Let me tell you, the commentators disagree. It appears to be a grey area. But then straight away after mention of Solomon's marriage comes another one. In verses 2 and 3, we read that Solomon has been worshipping God at the high places in the land. In other words, at ex-pagan sites. And again, the question comes, was this the right or the wrong thing to do? In verse 2, the practice seems to be defended. The temple has not been built yet. So surely it was better for the people to worship God somewhere than nowhere. But then in verse 3, we sense the opposite. We're told that Solomon followed the practices of his father, good King David, except in the way he worshipped at the high places. And if you read the Old Testament law, worshipping in these venues was strictly forbidden. In fact, Israel was supposed to have destroyed them when they came into the land. So again, this worship at the high places, was it honouring God or was it dishonouring him? You decide. Again, the commentators disagree. Another apparent grey area. And how true this is of life. So few of the decisions we are forced to make are black and white when we come to make them. There are multiple shades of grey in between, arguments that could be made for both sides. I could make a real difference in that new job and help many people. But my family might lose out. I could leave a legacy in my will for a charity. But my children may need those funds. 
I could visit that bar regularly, for then I might get opportunities to talk about Jesus there. Or I could over time be badly influenced and fall away from God. This is simply reality for us as human beings. We live in a world full of grey areas, and sometimes we only fully discover if a decision was right or wrong much later on in life. Oh, how we need a wisdom beyond our own, then, when we come to make them. If you want me to come off the fence, for me personally, both of the moves made by Solomon in the opening verses of this chapter are mistakes. As Solomon's reign progresses, we see how he gets more and more distracted by his foreign wives. And there really are very explicit laws about the high places in the Old Testament law. You may disagree with that, and you are free to do so. But the one thing I would say is that if you do read those verses as Solomon floundering, what happens next becomes even more beautiful. For in verse 5, God turns up to meet with Solomon in a dream. It's as if the Lord can see his chosen king struggling and his heart is moved enough to go and help him. In his dream, which interestingly comes precisely while Solomon is worshipping in dodgy places, the Lord says to his king, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Notice how even when God has turned up to help his people, he never forces himself upon them. He makes an offer and invites them to respond. And Solomon, to his great credit, makes the best decision of his entire life. In Greek and Roman legend, when King Midas was given a wish, what did he ask for? He wanted everything he touched to turn to gold. In the Disney classic, when a genie pops out of the lamp and gives three wishes, what does Aladdin plump for? He asks to be a prince. We know darn well if we found ourselves in this position, we too would have probably asked for money or power or a beautiful spouse. But Solomon does nothing of the sort. Instead, Solomon asks for wisdom. I think that in this moment we see a real vulnerability to Solomon. I think Solomon realises he is struggling to get things right. Maybe he realised that his marriage to Pharaoh's daughter may not have been the best. Maybe he realised that the legitimacy of worshipping on the high places was debatable. But one thing is for certain, Solomon knew he was struggling to rule over the people of Israel. We know that because he says it explicitly. Listen to verses 7 to 9. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child. And do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon turns to the Lord for wisdom because he knows that on his own, he just does not have enough. He was too young, too inexperienced, too weak. At times his mind was muddled. In the grey areas of life, it was not always clear to him what was right and wrong, and he knew how important it was to get things right. To Solomon's great credit, he realises that he will not be a good king at all unless the Lord helps him. As I said, I think Solomon demonstrates real vulnerability in this moment. 
If he didn't, he would have asked for gold or power like Midas and Aladdin did. And let's be honest, these are the things that so many other world rulers in history have gone chasing after. Solomon asked for wisdom because he knows he is weak. We would do very well to admit the same. We do not know it all. We do not always get it right. In fact, we make many mistakes. Help, Lord. We need you. We need your guidance. Help me with this relationship. Help me with this career choice. Help me with my finances. Help me live for you here on Isla. Perhaps the first step to wisdom for us today is to recognise our need of God, just like Solomon did. And of course, the wonderful thing is that when we do ask for help, our God loves to be generous. In Solomon's case, God was so pleased that he'd not asked for riches. He gave them to him anyway. He was so delighted that Solomon had not selfishly asked for more power. God gave him the honour of surrounding nations. Truly, when we approach God with humility, when we act unselfishly, prioritising him and the people around us, God is pleased and we reap the benefits. The same is still true today. The rest of our passage is an interesting exploration of what God's wisdom brings to pass within the world. We know what worldly wisdom is. Worldly wisdom is selfish and self-promoting. Worldly wisdom is about amassing the most pleasure and wealth for yourself, often with the complete disregard of others, even sometimes leading to their suffering. But God's wisdom has a far wider impact and brings blessing rather than curse. Just have a look with me as we quickly scan through the rest of 1 Kings 3 and 4. In the famous story of the two prostitutes and the baby, godly wisdom leads Solomon on the hunt for truth and justice. It restores a child to its desperate and heartbroken mother. In the list of Solomon's officials in the opening verses of chapter 4, we see how godly wisdom leads to order and organisation rather than utter chaos. Order is good when it comes to running a country. It should ensure that people are treated fairly and that everyone gets what they need. Chaos in government always leads to the most vulnerable missing out. In verses 24 and 25 of chapter 4, we get this beautiful description of how godly wisdom leads to peace in the world. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River, from Tifsa to Gaza, and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety. Everyone under their own vine, under their own fig tree. What beautiful verses they are. No aggression, no war, no refugees. Everyone at peace in a land they love with enough to look after themselves. This is the fruit of God's wisdom. In verse 32, we read of how God's wisdom led Solomon to create beauty and art. He wrote songs and proverbs, many of which are recorded in scripture and are still enjoyed today. God's wisdom is creative and the arts bring joy into the world. Then in verse 33, we get this very topical reference to the created world. Solomon spoke about plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. 
You see, following God's wisdom brings us in tune with creation. It helps us to appreciate the world around us and to know how to look after the animal kingdom of which we are a part. Oh, how our world needs this right now as we seek to come to terms with the effects of human-made climate change. Can you see the difference between God's wisdom and worldly wisdom? It's on a completely different plane, isn't it? Worldly wisdom is selfish and breaks communities down, bringing suffering to many. Godly wisdom brings blessing, not just to the individual, but to their community, indeed to the part of creation in which they live. I hope we have now really grasped the message of this passage. As we struggle on through our challenging world, full as it is of grey areas and difficult decisions, we all need wisdom. None of us have all that is necessary on our own. Where are we to turn for it? We are to turn to the Lord, the God who made everything that exists, so know how everything best works. The God who loves us enough that he gave his son, so is always wanting to lead us into good things. So returning to our opening questions, who are we to turn to when we need help in life? We're to turn to believers, steeped in the scriptures and rooted in prayer. We're to ask advice from our brothers and sisters in the church, who should always be seeking to lead us towards God rather than away from him. If you are facing a grey area, if today you face a difficult decision, seek the Lord in prayer. Ask for his wisdom like Solomon did. Open the scriptures. Look for inspiration from the life of Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived. And ask for help from fellow believers who've been through something similar and will hold you before the Lord until the wisdom you need has been received. But let me close with a warning. This is not a process we do just once or twice in life. This is something we need to do for the rest of our journey through this age. For wisdom is something that comes and goes. If you take your eyes off the Lord, you lose it. Solomon received so much in these chapters from the Lord, but within it were the seeds of his own downfall. The good organisation of chapter 4 became the method of slave labour. The structure of twelve districts became the means of oppressive taxation. The gifts of the nations became a warlord's army of chariots and soldiers. The blessing of wealth became the arrogance of lavish ostentation. And the admiration of the world became the access required to form a harem of 700 wives and 300 concubines. Solomon made the best decision of his life in asking God for wisdom. He made the worst decision of his life in thinking that that was a one-off move. Let's all commit this week to seeking the Lord's wisdom in everything that we do.